0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast that Galt McDermott, Andrea McArdle, and the Library of Congress all (gasps) want you to hear. It's Monkeys and Playbills, y'all. I'm Jillian Willems. And I'm Paul DeGurse.
1: And here at Monkeys and Playbills, what do we do?
0: Here at Monkeys and Playbills... We dissect shows that had runs of 100 performances or fewer on Broadway, not counting previews.
1: And what the heck happened?
0: For those of you who have been listening along for the past, what have we done, 11, 12 episodes now?
1: Something like that. At
0: this point, um, 12 is what producer Daph is miming right now. Um, (laughs) Producer Daph doesn't have a mic cooked up this episode. (laughs) (laughs) For the past 11 or 12 episodes, for the past 12 episodes, we've dissected... A show over the course of an hour, diving into every little nuance of the show, its history, the production, context behind what went into the show. That said, there are many shows that have run fewer than 100 performances on Broadway, not counting previews, that do not merit a full hour.
1: And we wondered for a while why that might be. And so I think when we're researching, we like to have as much of the picture as we can get. Mm-hmm. And some of these older shows, it's really impossible to find the media that is required for the wild speculation that we like to do.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we still want to be able to talk about these shows. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're fascinating to us as... Broadway nerds, and thus are probably fascinating to our audience as presumably also Broadway nerds. If you're listening at this point, <laughs> chances are you're going to be into yeah, this. Yeah, if you've
1: made it this far, I think you're going to really like this it. format. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so we picked three shows that don't have enough content in them to do a full hour-long episode on, but we're going to do three mini-sodes in <laughs> one, just for you, dear listeners.
1: Yay! Just for you. I... Jillian really enjoy historical context of these plays. That's something that I've really loved finding out about. It helps me understand why they happen or don't happen.
0: <laughs> and so for
1: the purposes of these minisodes, my role has been to do just that, to research the details, the specifics, the synopsis, the creative teams, the actors, and then any sort of context I can find as to what might have happened.
0: And you very specifically haven't listened to any music, Correct. haven't watched any video. <laughs> I've done exactly the opposite. Yep. I've listened to music, I've watched video, I've avoided any kind of context, historical context on the shows as much as I can, mm-hmm. including any kind of plot. The only <laughs> plot that I've researched is stuff that I've picked up from the scraps of archives <laughs> that I've been scraps. able to find around the internet. So we have two halves of a complete picture here. Let's see if we can put it together. <laughs> What's our first episode, Jillian? What's our first show?
1: The very first show we're going to discuss today is called Dude, or The Highway Life. (laughs) From the people that brought you hair, here's another cool guy show. That's all I could think about. I was like, wow, let's find a name that really sounds cool.
0: We didn't say it enough with hair in all 35 songs. One
1: more time. One
0: more time. Yeah.
1: Previews for Dude began at the Broadway Theater on September 11th, 1972. It opened on October 9th, 1972, and closed on October 21st, oh. 1972. After 16 previews and 16 performances, we oh. love symmetry.
0: Yeah, there we go. Yeah,
1: yeah we love that.
0: 16 performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Out of the three shows we have here, Dude was probably the quote-unquote easiest one for me to research mm-hmm. because they did cut a complete cast recording that's available on online streaming services.
1: Okay, great. So I great. was able
0: to listen to the full cast recording and find some stills. Here's what I know for sure. Okay. It's about a guy who likes leather jackets and likes highways.
1: Oh, sure. And that would make sense. He
0: is kind of a tool and he sings just a, a lot of rambling songs. That don't, um, that don't go much of anywhere, much like Hair, but Hair has kind of the advantage of being this hippie flower mm-hmm. child musical. It really works. Yep. This one didn't work so much for me. But that said, that's all the information I was able to find. <laughs> so with that information, I am going to wildly speculate mm-hmm. and see if I can figure out a plot synopsis for you. I can't wait. So based on the information I have, Dude is about a man named Dude who has a <laughs> leather jacket and hitchhikes around America, okay. and he falls in love with a woman, oh. probably named Lady or Woman or something equally yeah. as disrespectful.
1: There's no point in no. finding a name for a female character. No, especially not
0: in this <laughs> case, because if I had to guess, <laughs> dude silly. just goes, no, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm too much of a free spirit, and continues to hitchhike around the highway, contemplating the meaning of life and how futile capitalism is and how much Vietnam sucks.
1: So, hair. (laughs) Hair, but on tour. (laughs) I should mention this is
0: by Galt McDermott, who wrote Hair.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and Jerome Ragney. So the same team.
0: Exact same team.
1: And director as well.
0: They would had two big successes. They had Hair and Two Gentlemen? Two Gentlemen of Verona? So at this point, and I promise I didn't look up any context, this is just me freestyling. At this point, Galt McDermott is kind of a golden boy, almost. Like, this is is Lin-Manuel. Height. After In the Heights, yeah. after Hamilton. This is his follow-up as Dude. Like this is the stage <laughs> I'm setting here. <laughs> Jill, what did you find out about Dude?
1: Less than you. Oh no. Everywhere I looked, the synopsis was quite short and and really didn't have detail at all. Yeah. So this is what I found and I found it on Wikipedia and it says that Dude is an allegory about good and evil, the conflict between mankind's creative and destructive urges, the power of love, and the joy to be found in simple pleasures. So
0: Pippin. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs)
1: right which was like right
0: around the same time
1: same tony year
0: same tony this is the same tony year as steven schwartz's pippin
1: i'm almost positive oh
0: that's so bananas
1: so we're seeing echoes obviously of dude in other more successful musicals absolutely So that's all I found.
0: That's so interesting. And
1: then in the New York Times review, there was like a bit more information about the plot, but it was still like convoluted in that like I couldn't quite piece together what was like opinion and plot, you know?
0: That was my experience (laughs) listening to the soundtrack as well. I mean, Gott McDermott's never been a a musical writer who mm-hmm. writes, um, to advance a plot. Right. This, this is what was exciting about Hair, is Hair was this kind of rock music, mm-hmm. and it was taking musical theatre and musical theatre storytelling in a different direction. Yeah. And that's why it was so exciting and so, um, so mind-blowing. Oh, yeah. In that sense, for that reason, you can listen to something like the Hair soundtrack, and it just plays like a, like a hippie rock album. You wouldn't know that it was actually a piece of musical theater, necessarily.
1: No, you wouldn't. And I think because so much of that music made its way into mainstream, kind of like the pop culture canon, it is easy to forget that it, in fact was kind of a revolutionary piece of musical theater. I agree completely. So what, ha- like, why did you well, not do Dudes, it's do the same thing.
0: You listen to it and you don't get any sense of the plot, obviously, right. based on my description. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole Jack Kerouac vibe that I got, which seems not too far off, actually, right. just comes from the fact that a lot of the songs are about living on the highway and how exciting <laughs> the highway is. And... Tom Petty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so if I had to guess, if I had to wildly speculate once again, all of Galt McDermott's weaknesses as a songwriter, without mm. the strengths of being connected to hippie culture and protesting the war.
1: Right. I could get behind that.:
0: And then once again, maybe I hadn't realized this was the same Tony Year as Pippin. Maybe having a show with bigger stars, mm-hmm. bigger breakaway pop hits with the same message doing the exact same thing, but better.: Yeah, also didn't help it.
1: One thing I, I noticed yeah. about this show and the others, but there were 32 actors.
0: Jesus. In, in this musical. That's so many. Yeah. There is never a song with more than one person singing. I swear to Weird. God. There is no ensemble. Wow.
1: Yeah. And so I was really surprised by that. That's because bananas. Just, I don't know. I, I'm so used to seeing like a 12 to 15 person cast now.
0: So what, were the reviews bad?
1: Yeah. The yeah, reviews were sense. really bad. But I yeah. think what, what actually struck me the most was the fact that they lost a lot of money. Right. So this show lost a million dollars in 1972, wow. which in today's dollars is 6.3 million.
0: That's a lot of money. It's a for lot a of money. Musical. It's yeah. a
1: lot of money to take a gamble on this kind of show. But I guess if they have the reputation of these creators of hair, yeah, you know, they're probably thinking it's a sure thing. Wow! What a mess! And then just
0: couldn't run, especially with a 32-person cast. Nope. Yeah.
1: So the other thing I wanted to bring up about why I think it might have failed and yep. why other people on the internet think it failed. Great. BroadwayScene.com, written by Paul Morochka. It's kind of a miracle because of the five flops that Paul covered, we're covering three of them today. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, pretty amazing. Paul wrote that at the top of each performance of Dude, they would release 100 butterflies into the audience.
0: (laughs) No, they wouldn't. Yeah, they
1: did. They put dirt on the floor, but quickly realized that real dirt like kicked up dust and if you wet it it turns to mud so they used synthetic dirt on the floor they turned the broadway theater into theater in the round great which again that's like not an issue the issue is apparently they brought in like trees and like grass and stuff sort of like not as good of a version of the once on this island revival where they do it successfully it's like oh, wow, this is just, like, bring in the outside, you know, without That's so a fascinating. Thought. But to me, it kind of sounds like the design would scare people. Yeah. On this uh, Broadway scene page, it says, 23-year-old white man named Kevin Greer. Yeah. And then it, it was recast, and the actor's name is Nat Morris. So Nat Morris did a few other things before Dude. Okay. But nothing on Broadway afterward. Sure. Yeah. So hair being one of them and Jesus Christ Superstar being the other. So it's really like intertwined, the hair and dude shows. Like there's so many repeat cast members.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah. So what was going on in the Tonys this year?
1: Woo. Let me tell you. Our friend Sondheim has a show.
0: 1973.
1: Einen kleinen Nachtmusik. A Little Night Music was the uh, Best Musical winner. Yeah. But also was nominated alongside Pippin, Sugar, and Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope.
0: Totally. Which I don't know
1: about really at all.
0: Oh, it sounds like the story of my life. It's also something (laughs) something I would relate to.
1: Yeah, so there was also a musical version of Much Ado About Nothing, apparently, unless sure. that was just the music was nominated for score. Interesting, but yes. So Pippin was around, and that would have, I I bet, really just swallowed up the dude audience. Yeah, and Pippin's
0: just cleaning up left and right. Here. Oh, yeah. Ben Vereen takes a um, mm-hmm. leading actor. As he Fosse should. Fosse takes Best Direction and Best Choreo. Yeah. It absolutely swallowed up the... Uh, the dude audience.
1: Yeah, because it's sort of to me, Pippin is a more polished version of what Dude, I think, was actually trying to get at.
0: And so did Dude not get any nominations even? It doesn't, it doesn't look, look like, like, it, like it. it. Wow. So, Jill, mm-hmm. obviously we can't do our usual flop bop or make it stop yeah. for this because we just have, we don't have the necessary information at our disposal. But I think we have enough information to be able to decide whether this musical, whether we need to revive. Mm-hmm. Or let it die.
1: <laughs> so, I obviously haven't heard the music. Okay, so let's let it die. Let it die.
0: I think so too.
1: We have hair, we don't need dude.
0: I agree completely. So, that's, ladies and gentlemen, Galt McDermott's dude. Let's talk about show number two. <laughs> Jill, what is show number two that we're talking about?
1: Show number two happens to be my favorite musical. Just kidding. Uh, (laughs) This is Bring Back Birdie.
0: From 1981.
1: The previews began at the Martin Beck Theater, the same theater as Bye Bye Birdie on January 26th.
0: Are Bye Bye Birdie and Bring Back Birdie (laughs) related to each other?
1: We're about to find out. (laughs) So they both opened at the same theater. Previews began at the Martin Beck Theater, the same theater as Bye Bye Birdie, on January 26th, 1981. It opened on March 5th, 1981, and it closed on March 7th, 1981, after 31 previews and four performances. Four
0: performances. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Once again, I've done my best to avoid a plot synopsis. Yep. That said, this is obviously a sequel to Bye Bye Birdie, right? Correct. This is Charles Strauss, same composer. Yep. Same, um, one of the same stars, Chiquita Rivera.
1: Like literally same everything.
0: Same everything. I have come to the conclusion, independently, this must be a Bye Bye Birdie sequel.
1: Very good, Paul. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I would love to hear your synopsis based on the few things that you
0: So here's saw what or? I was able to find. I was able to find... Not a full soundtrack. Okay. A few songs Mm -hmm. from the soundtrack on YouTube. Great. As well as there was a full bootleg archival of Act One. Right. I didn't watch that. That felt like cheating for our purposes. It is cheating. But I did watch, they had some clips of it up (laughs) that I was able to watch. So I've seen a few clips and I've seen a bunch of production skills of Cheetah Rivera and Donald O'Connor. Yep. My best friend, (laughs) uh, love of my life, Um, for all its problems... And there were lots of problems. Uh, Singing in the Rain is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yes. And Donald O'Connor is my favorite part of yep. that movie. I couldn't agree more. That's what I know about Bring Back Birdie. I'm going to give a try at the plot synopsis. Yeah. We have to assume it's a Bye Bye Birdie sequel. Yes. I don't really know Bye Bye Birdie, but I'm familiar with it mm-hmm. passingly. It's about like a songwriter, like a teen, like an Elvis style star, right? Yeah. And um, at the end of it, the songwriter gets together with his secretary who's cheater rivera it was like dick van dyke originally so we have to assume they're together at the top of this okay and we're bringing back birdie birdie was the celebrity from the first one so birdie comes back from war yeah and right
1: because that's where we that's lead. where we left off in yeah, bye bye at the end of bye bye
0: birdie yeah it's literally bye bye birdie you're going to war
1: bye bye birdie birdie <laughs> goodbye <laughs> oh that's not in it
0: no <laughs> 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 bye <Bye-bye>, bye bay city <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it seems like based on the context of a couple of these songs that Cheetah Rivera's grumpy with donald o'connor who used to be dick mm-hmm. van dyke mm-hmm. um they're not she's not happy with him so i have to assume he did something bad maybe he <laughs> flirted with another woman or something um and birdie is back or maybe she's upset with birdie she's upset with someone
1: we love conflict in theater we so it only makes theater. sense yeah.
0: But then uh, at at the end, because this is a a Charles Strauss piece, Uh and because it is a sequel to Bye Bye Birdie, I think everything gets resolved at the end. So I would assume that Cheetah Rivera ends up back with Donald Van Dyke.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who is, uh, for those just joining us, a hybrid. A hybrid Um, of
0: Donald O'Connor and Dick Van Dyke, (laughs) who are playing the same character from what I understand. And Birdie goes off to war again. Oh. I have no (laughs) idea if that's true or not. What That's I do a, know for sure really is, that, is that Cheetah Rivera has an act two showstopper called, Well, I'm Not. That's oh. actually a real banger. It's a oh. really nice song. And I would, um, actually, Jill, I would encourage you to take a look at it Great, put it in your book. It's really nice.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: That's what I know about Bring Back Birdie.
1: Okay. Your guess is as good as mine <laughs> Yeah, <right? laughs> about the details, but yes. I'll tell you what I found on Concord Theatricals. Great. So it says... The sequel to Bye Bye Birdie, 20 years after their adventure in Sweet Apple, Rosie and Albert Peterson, now happily settled into suburban life with teenagers of their own, set off to Arizona to find Conrad Birdie and convince him to make a comeback. And I think there's something about like the Grammys, like he has to come back to perform at the Grammys is the sure, big
0: thing. right. So, Ugh.
1: Gotta buy me dinner first, is all I'll say about yeah, that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. That's exactly <laughs> what it seems like.
1: Right? Let's go get Conrad.
0: What's the deal <laughs> with Charles Strauss and making sequels to these beloved musicals he writes?
1: He just can't let anything go.
0: Because he wrote this. He also did Annie Warbucks, oh, which is like right. a sequel to yep. Annie, mm-hmm. which is so bananas He's <laughs> so bizarre. In general, who would ever think that a sequel... When has this ever worked?
1: Yeah, no, I can't think of anything.
0: There's there's only three s- sequels in musical theater that I'm aware of. Okay. These The two that I just mentioned. Yeah. And uh, Love Never Dies, the, the oh, Angela God. Weber thing, Which is, by all accounts, a hot steaming pile of garbage.
1: I wish we could talk about that one because the plot is really confusing for that, too.
0: Maybe we could do it as a Patreon special if anyone ever Ooh. subscribed to our Patreon. Yeah, hmm. send us your
1: requests. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um... So it ran for what did we what did we say like five performances? Four
1: performances, Four performances over performances. like three days.
0: So what on earth, based on a very a sequel to a very beloved property, mm-hmm. two big stars, Cheetah Rivera has just cre- she's crested her popular- popularity at this point, but it's still got to be a draw.
1: Yep. And yep.
0: Donald O'Connor.
1: Yeah, I have a few ideas, I guess, about yeah. why it wouldn't work. First of all, I don't think that Strauss is a particularly gifted songwriter. <laughs> If we're if we're really? looking at his body of work, he has written several of the shows that we are going to address on our podcast. Rags, Bring Back Birdie, It's a Bird, it's a Plane.
0: Right. He Golden wrote, it's a boy. bird, it's a plane.
1: Yeah. Like there's a lot.
0: And he just happened to strike well, Nick and Nora as well. Do you like Annie?
1: Uh sometimes.
0: Yeah. I like Annie. I think Annie's a really nice show. Yeah. And so did he just strike gold hard with Annie?
1: I kind of think so. Where it's like the perfect storm where mm. y- you introduce a bunch of like youngsters and already I think there's like, that's a draw yep. for a lot of people. It's like, oh, now it's a family show and I'll bring my whole family.
0: Yep. And you got a couple of, couple of really nice melodies. And I don't even yeah. think, I don't even think, um... Sun Will Come Out is the nicest melody in that show by far. No,
1: I think Maybe is better. Oh, and
0: absolutely, I was going to say the same thing. And that's why they start the show with it. You know what I mean?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So if you just look at, at Strauss's body of work, you're kind of like seven and a half times out of 10 we're getting something not so great
0: so this has been Strauss cast where we dissect the entire body of work of Charles Strauss thank you for tuning in
1: (laughs) that's like kind of my thoughts obviously I haven't heard any of the music so I can't speak to what this sounds like but even the reviewers weren't so crazy about this music
0: it's pretty generic and pretty washy except for well I'm not which is like a straight up Marvin Hamlish banger
1: oh great it's
0: very fascinating we
1: love it we love to hear it totally the reviewer from the New York Times, Frank Rich, sort of found it really depressing as a show.
0: Sure. Because
1: he was like, wow, these people are really trying to make this happen again. you know? Right. And then they were like, that reviewer was waiting for this like, great musical number to happen. And yeah. then it like, didn't happen until Curtain Call. There was like, a reprise that they used from like, Bye Bye Birdie. And he was like, finally. Right. like, Yeah. So it just kind of seems like not good across the board
0: and this has got to be the problem with doing musical sequels to successful musicals yeah you're going to be pigeonholed into trying to recapture any of the magic even in the songwriting that you had in the originals yeah like we just said Annie has some beautiful melodies i'm not a fan of bye bye birdie personally but it's um in revisiting it just now Mm -hmm. in um in researching this show it's got some incredible some melodies that have just stuck with people
1: Mm -hmm. so it's not what i sang before
0: No. Okay. (laughs) It's not the Bay City rollers. Yeah.
1: Okay. I'm just I get so confused. Yeah. (laughs) So another thing I learned was that Bring Back Birdie just kept extending their previews. Oh. So I guess they weren't supposed to preview as long as they did. They previewed thirty one times or something. Yeah, thirty one previews. But they just like they would, they, I guess, were only supposed to do a few weeks of previews and yeah. then jump into shows, but they just kept extending because things just weren't working.
0: The reason, the reason for this, for people who are, um, who don't necessarily work in theater, but are listening to this podcast, the two reasons for previews are, A, you can start getting audiences in for preview performances, mm-hmm. but you can still make changes to the show. Yes. You can rehearse during the day and make changes to the show. And it's generally understood that reviewers will not review previews. They won't Mm -hmm. review until opening night. Yes. So you can start receiving income and getting audience reactions. Yep. But you don't have the pressure of having a locked-in show or having reviewers judging that show.
1: Exactly. So that could be appealing to a show that might need a little extra work or Mm -hmm. to hear that feedback um, launching into their opening. So I have this anecdote from our friend Paul Morochka. Love him. And he wrote a bit about Bring Back Birdie as a flop and wrote, During one preview, Donald O'Connor came out to sing one of his numbers, which had been rewritten. At one point, he got confused, stopped, told the audience he never liked the song, and left the stage. (laughs) (laughs) Bring Back Birdie was that kind of mess. And with extended previews and bad word of mouth, no one expected it to survive, and they were right.
0: That's incredible. Yeah,
1: what a great little story. That's
0: an incredible story.
1: Yeah. So that's another knock against it, I guess. Yeah.
0: It's too bad because it, it makes sense on paper as well. Like Dick Van Dyke doesn't work out to come back she to Rivera's back. Look at Donald O'Connor yeah. who's...
1: Resident funny man. Resident
0: funny man, great dancer, very charismatic.
1: hmm Oh,
0: so what was going on at the Tonys this year?
1: So this is the 35th Tony Awards. So uh, the nominees for best musical in 1981 were 42nd Street, yep. Sophisticated Ladies, yep. Tin Type, No Idea, Woman of the Year. Never heard of it. I'm actually a little surprised that Bring Back Birdie wouldn't be up there.
0: Right, based Apparently, on the by other all shows. accounts, it was an enormous disaster. Broadway in the 1980s, before the mega musical camera Macintosh boom, is not my super forte. But if my based on my spotty knowledge of this. Like Cheetah Rivera at this point was getting pretty overexposed. Mm -hmm. And I think was maybe there was maybe even a bit of cheetah backlash.
1: Oh, interesting. That's just
0: based on she was in a bunch of flops in the eighties. Which seems bizarre for someone who now is renowned as such a legend.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Because that could play into this as well. It seems bizarre for two legends, a show with two legends in it to not get anything.
1: Yeah. Well, it did actually. What did it get? She was nominated. Cheetah Rivera was nominated for Best Performance by a Leading Actress in a Musical. Oh, there you go. And that's, I think, everything that they were nominated for as a show.
0: Nominated against Linda Ronstadt in The Pirates of Penzance. (laughs) Can you believe that? Isn't that incredible?
1: That is an amazing casting choice. Oh. I love that.
0: This is a cool year. This would have been a cool year to watch. I just found out something as well. Ooh, tell me. Charles Strauss had another musical in this eligibility year. What was it? It was his adaptation of Flowers for Algernon, Charlie and Algernon. Also Uh, famously a disaster. Very bad, uh, from what I understand. Oh my gosh. But it had a nomination for uh, Best Score.
1: Okay. So
0: there might even be that split focus thing that we found on a few disaster musicals now.
1: Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, can we finally put Bring Back Birdie to bed?
0: Well, you tell me. Is this a revive or should we let it die <laughs> um, not, not even. The latter. I agree, except for the song, Well, I'm Not. Right. Which everyone should come and sing at yeah. cabarets all over, the, um, all over the planet.
1: Let's put it's it in excellent. the Strauss songbook.
0: Put it in the Strauss songbook. Exactly. <laughs> right between um, uh, maybe far away- And we love you, Bertie. That's great. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Musical number three. Here we go. So those are the two that I was able to find a lot of information on. (laughs) What's this one, Jill?
1: Welcome to Beg, Borrow, or Steal. (laughs) Okay, here we go. There were no previews at the Martin Beck Theater. Then it opened on February tenth, nineteen sixty. Then it closed on February thirteenth, nineteen sixty. After five performances. Five
0: performances. Mm-hmm.
1: So guess what, though? What? Same theater as Bye Bye and Bring Back Birdie.
0: Wow! It's a I cursed know. theater.
1: Cursed, totally cursed.
0: <laughs> so I did a lot. I did. I scoured the internet for this show. Okay. So here's what I know about Big Borrow or Steal. Great. They did record a soundtrack. Under the name Clara, which was the working title for it, before yeah. it became Big Borough or Steel. Great. That soundtrack is in the Library of Congress.
1: Hence why they wouldn't want us to... Oh, hence
0: why they wouldn't want us wouldn't, to hear it, yeah. because you can't <laughs> friggin' find it anywhere else in the wow. world. It is so hard to find. It might also have something to do with the fact that Googling both Big Borough or Steel or Clara with any combination of music, musical, or Broadway turns up a whole bunch of stuff. Googling with Clara turns up a whole bunch of Light in the Piazza stuff.
1: Yes. as Yeah. yeah. Um, What I would expect.
0: Right. So what I've got are a few production stills. Yeah. And a playbill, which has one woman and two men on it.
1: Like the image on the front? The
0: image is two men and one woman. They're all in their own bubble.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: So based on this (laughs) very informative information that I have, I'm going to take a stab (laughs) at the plot. I can't wait. (laughs) Each person on the playbill was in their own bubble. So I have to assume one is beg, one is borrow. And one is Steele.
1: Cool. Okay. <laughs> so we
0: got Jim Baig, Jack Boro, and Sally Steele.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a porno. Well, Those I names. Gonna,
0: I was gonna say they're in like a threes company type of situation. Yeah, they're sure. All, they're all sharing an apartment. I love it. Um, except it's two men and one woman, not like threes company. Right. Um, and Jim and Jack are always <laughs> like. Two men who have to, because this is the 1950s, so right. they have to go to the business factory and do their business all day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so they have briefcases. They have
0: briefcases, but Good. Sally Steele is the actual brains behind this operation. Oh, She's sure. making things happen. They're all, they're forgetting things in their briefcases and she's uh, she's packing them, <laughs> making sure they have their lunches and she's writing reports. <laughs> and then one day, Mr. McGillicuddy, the big boss, finds <laughs> out that Sally, <laughs> that Sally Steele is actually the brains behind the operation. And promotes her, and Jim Beg and Jack Borrow have trouble with this
1: <laughs> because sexism. Because <laughs>
0: sexism. Because 1950s. <laughs> also, it's set to a rousing, anthemic 1950s score. Yeah. By Bud Freeman. Did uh, I do that right?
1: Bud Freeman wrote the lyrics. Freeman. Yeah, very good. Yes. And Leon Pober. Leon
0: Pober. He's done nothing, nothing. else. Nothing. Nothing yeah. else. Um, I think it's a lost gem. I think it's incredible. <laughs> I, I loved it. <laughs>
1: Okay, first of all, I would love to play that board game. <laughs> Beg, borrow, or steal. It's like Clue, but like it actually sounds more fun. I know, right? Because it's like you're climbing the corporate ladder. Exactly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was an excellent synopsis, and literally nothing like the actual plot. You know, I'm not so- surprised. <laughs> So surprisingly, on BroadwayWorld.com, there was an extensive synopsis for this musical. I saw this in my
0: Googling. I had to restrain myself from clicking on it. And I
1: was shocked because all of these other shows sort of like succinctly summarize like themes and general plot. But this one like went into detail. But I decided to just kind of like pare it down. And give us like the meat of it. Here's what I gleaned from from BroadwayWorld.com. Okay. Clara's boyfriend, Rafe, is a charlatan who owns a coffee house called The Pit and manages to live on credit because folks tend to regard beatniks as quaint. <laughs> He's a beatnik, in case you couldn't yep, understand. You. Yeah. As quaint, and don't hold them to the standards of the real world, man. I just add the man. Because yep, I good. imagine that's what they would have said. We right? have to
0: assume. Yeah. yeah.
1: Pretending <laughs> to be one of the beats, they shorten it. <laughs> Rafe is actually looking to exploit them. Yeah, Rafe basically tries to turn the pit, the the coffee house, in case anyone has since forgotten, (laughs) into some sort of tourist trap. I guess. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. So, like, thus exploiting the people who come to maybe gawk at beatniks. I don't know. I'm a little confused. (laughs) And then I just wrote, <laughs> "I don't understand."
0: Oh, I've, I, I'm, I'm, I have no idea what's going on already.
1: <laughs> and then there was a short, like a one sentence one on uh, Wikipedia and also on IBDB yeah. That said, this musical tells the story of urban beatniks in a fictional American city in 1950.
0: But beatniks. Yeah. Who's the third guy? We got Rafe. We got Clara.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Who's the third like, guy from the Playbill? I think he's. Another person who's like more honest, maybe. Sure. Who comes yeah. in and maybe Clara falls for this other person? I don't know. Great. There you have it.
0: That's big borrower steel. Yeah. This famous law lo- or infamous lost gem.
1: Yeah. So it's based on a short story I guess or a story okay. um by Bud Freeman who wrote sure. the book and lyrics? Cuz
0: he's like he's like a jazz artist or something, right? Or I guess so. He was so... like he was in this circle this beatnik circle kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And
1: so it would make sense that maybe he was like trying to draw from lived experience. Yeah, that's not crazy. Yeah. yeah, never the worst place to begin. No. Yeah, so Bud Freeman and Marvin Seiger wrote this little story. And then I guess someone was like, yeah, let's totally turn this into a musical. So there was one honorable mention on the creative team because no one really worked after this or before this. The orchestrator, Peter Matz, orchestrated like a lot of other stuff afterward, like Liza, Grand Hotel... And MD'd, like, music directed so much as well. Your for
0: Grand Hotel is real nice. Mm-hmm. I really like Grand Hotel. So
1: I was like, oh, yeah. there's there's a nice little nugget to yeah. come out of this disaster show. Very cool. Um, So there's some drama from a creative perspective. Okay, what happened? Originally, a person named Billy Matthews was hired to direct Great. this show. Excellent
0: choice. Billy Matthews.
1: But was replaced by one of the actors.
0: Oh, I gotta go get him! Get him out of there.
1: <laughs> replaced by David Doyle, so who was an
0: act What did he continue to who act was as? in as the director?
1: show? Yes.
0: Oh, great choice. So
1: David I, Doyle. It's, it's, it's
0: great because you can you can both you can see what's going on from the inside.
1: Yeah, you're it's like even oh, better
0: yeah. <laughs> than me on the outside. Why don't
1: more people do <laughs> Why don't that? More people yeah. Do it? <laughs> So David Doyle took over this directing job because I couldn't understand why on IBDB it said it was directed by David Doyle but staged by Billy Matthews. So they kept the staging credit for Billy Matthews, but obviously the directorship, their directorship was passed (laughs) over to David Doyle. So choreography was by Peter Hamilton who didn't do anything else before or after, um, but I believe maybe did some film. And the other thing I wanted to talk about was how big this
0: cast was. Like 50 people.
1: 42 people plus understudies.
0: Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. 42 people plus like understudies just on standby. Six of them. Wow.
1: For four performances or however many performances. Well, it's no wonder they they couldn't
0: freaking run. Yeah.
1: It's like (laughs) unbelievable.
0: That's insane. Yeah. And once again, you you hear this description like for something like I have 42nd Street in my head because it was just in that Broadway year, I think. Sure, I can see a huge cast for that or something. Hmm. What on earth about that plot description justifies 42 people?
1: It sounds to me like they didn't know either. Right. (laughs) Like, they were like, ah, yes, let's make them the chess players and let's make them the poets. And like, Right. yeah, I don't know. It just seemed like a lot. Oh, also one of the uh, stage (laughs) managers was understudying a role. (laughs) 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 Which I'm like, I get it. Like, maybe if you only have five people in your cast okay the other thing was that one of the producers was also in it but that's not as unusual
0: it's not as it because you can be a producer just by throwing money totally yeah
1: yeah so that was eddie bracken who ended up being a moderately busy actor producer totally and then there was only one other person in it whose name i recognized which was estelle parsons who's that an incredibly busy broadway performer Incredible. plays musicals more plays
0: great well, it seems obvious why it couldn't uh, why it couldn't run. Mm-hmm. What was going on in the Tonys that year? This is early Tony days.
1: Yeah, this is uh, April twenty fourth, nineteen sixty. Was yep. the fourteenth Tony Awards?
0: Jeez, eh? so
1: this was the year it was eligible, and The Sound of Music and Fiorello tied. <sighs> it looks like yeah for best musical.
0: And also also nominated was Original Gypsy yep. and Original Once Upon a Mattress. Yes. Wow, wow, wow. What a
1: season. Yeah. There were also a lot of nice looking plays on. Yeah. Miracle Worker, Raisin in the Sun. Raisin in the Sun, yeah. It just seemed like the kind of year that Beg, Borrow, or Steel would have just completely gone under the radar.
0: No, there's some incredible performances here. So Jill, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Beg, Borrow, or Steel, do we need to revive, or do we need to let it die
1: I want the version that exists to die, but I want to do your version. Ah, yes! I love the idea of climbing the corporate ladder in a musical. Give me nine to five. Give me kinky boots.
0: Give like, me um, how to succeed. How to succeed. Yeah.
1: But make it all ladies.
0: Absolutely. That's
1: kind of my dream.
0: I think I'm <laughs> going to do a road trip to the Library of Congress, and I'm going to listen to the original cast, then I will report back with a follow-up. Okay. To let y'all know if this is worth reviving or not. But for now... As it exists in my head, I, we have to revive it. <laughs> we just have to. Because I I I've never heard any of the music, so I'm just imagining it in my head. And it's great in there.
1: The children of tomorrow need... <laughs> the children of... T- beg, borrow, or steal.
0: There, there we go. I was going to follow you up, but that was a good rhyme. The children of tomorrow need beg, borrow, or steal.
1: Or steal. <laughs> <sighs>
0: Jillian Willems, we did it.
1: Paul Gers, yes we did.
0: Three musicals that don't have nearly enough information on them to do a full episode on. So we did three of them.
1: If you are a person who happens to have little tidbits of info, little anecdotes about the shows we covered today, I would absolutely love to hear them. Oh, yeah. My favorite part of researching this was coming across that blog that had those wonderful little tidbits. So please share, 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 Instagram, Twitter. If you
0: share, we will read it out on the podcast. We'll give that information. There's no question of that. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, reach out to us. We would love to hang out.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: We're not doing anything these days. We're not very busy.
1: Nothing's happening here.
0: Is there anything else, Producer Daph?
1: Nope. Let's go home. Hi, everyone. This is Producer Daphne speaking. Thank you all so much for listening to Monkeys and Playbills, the show where we take a look at Broadway musicals that had 100 performances or fewer before closing. To learn more about the show, you can follow us on Instagram at Pod, on Twitter at monkeyplaybills, or email us at monkeysandplaybillspod at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash monkeysandplaybills. Monkeys and Playbills is proud to be a Village Conservatory for Music Theatre podcast. Original music for the show is provided by Paul Degers and the show is produced and edited by Daphne Finlayson. Thank you all so much for listening and join us next week where we take on the Pirate Queen.